Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jivraj and on this podcast I speak with founders, investors and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode I speak with Sana Vora, the founder and CEO of the Wedding Brigade on the importance of focus. Sana studied at Brown University and took up investment banking at Morgan Stanley post-graduation where she spent more than two years. During one of her visits to India while she was attending a wedding, she recognized how broken the process of conducting weddings in India was. This is when she decided to solve this problem and the wedding brigade was born. The one-stop solution for conducting weddings, Sana and team have wonderfully curated the brand with spectacular progression of content, community, commerce, coupled with tremendous amounts of consumer love, leading to exponential growth, establishing the Wedding Brigade as one of the four most startups in the space. Through this conversation, I pick Sana's thoughts on the multiple different aspects of building the Wedding Brigade. We talk about a bunch of things, including the secrets to mastering the social media game, the integration of culture within the team, the nuances of being a solo founder, the steps taken towards building a full-stack solution, and further understanding the motivations and thought processes of Sana. Sana is definitely one of the most kind, honest, ambitious, and focused founders I have ever spoken to. Her persona is extremely special, and I learned so much from our conversation. Let's dive in to the 44th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast, The Importance of Focus with Sana Vora of The Wedding Brigade. Without further ado, I would like to welcome Sana Vora, founder and CEO of The Wedding Brigade on the show. Thank you so much, Sana, for joining me. Really honored to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Great to hear that, Sana. And despite the circumstances around us, it's great that we're doing this and trying to add value in whatever way we can. But I want to jump right in and talk about something very peculiar and interesting about your journey, which is the fact that you've been a solo founder since you started the Wedding Brigade, right? And there are these general methodologies and terminologies we hear around the solo founder, which makes it very daunting. But as youngsters listening to you, can you perhaps share the tools of how you made it through as a solo founder what were the hardships was it as tough as the media makes it sound and other things that go along with being a solo founder maybe some of the ups maybe some of the downs I think that would be a very interesting way to understand more about how you tackle this side of the problem sure so you know becoming a solo founder wasn't uh, an intentional decision I made when I moved to India from uh, New York when I was planning on starting something in the wedding space I actually was very happy to find someone who would one be able to put up a little bit of seed capital the same way that I was but two also had like a complementary skill set especially I was looking for someone who you know had some tech experience and a tech background and Unfortunately, I just wasn't really able to find anyone that I was looking for. You know, I found developers, but they didn't have uh, the sort of product vision that I was looking for. They were more on the execution side, also didn't have the ability to commit capital. I have friends who didn't have the type of experience I wanted. And I wasn't really part of the Indian tech circle at all, right? I hadn't lived in India at that point for, I think, 
10 years mostly went to international schools and so i just ended up kind of starting because i'm like i'm not going to wait to find a co-founder to start this business this business is going to start regardless and what sort of happened over the years is that i never really found someone who i thought could be a good co-founder no one was ever recommended to me at one point i told people also you know if you come across someone let me know but i do have a core team now that has esops and i did have my sister work with me for a little bit of time and so over time i feel like the core team and especially my sister when she was working with me sort of fill that role you know to have someone to bounce things off to have people feel like you know okay they're in the trenches with me and so even though i don't technically have one in a way i feel like i have a very good substitute fair point i mean the key takeaway there at least for me is the fact that you know you can't wait for a co-founder if you believe in the idea if you believe in the problem that you're solving for you have to start irrespective the fact that it did happen and you pulled it off despite is a spectacular to hear but just like double clicking on that uh, they often say that you know the founder journey is so lonely and given that you have this core team now i'm sure a lot of it gets shared with them but the vantage point as a founder that you seem to have how much of that not being shared impacts the wedding brigade or not like is it an advantage to not uh, have any obstructions in the core decisions that you have to make given the fact that you have seen it all you know it the best manner possible and everything is in your advantage then is it an advantage of sorts as well so i mean i've definitely heard of you know stories from other people where sometimes founders don't agree on like very very i would say pivotal issues which obviously does cause conflicts so or different people on different teams may favor one founder over another so obviously all of that in a big way is avoided i do think at times it would have been helpful to have someone else who was just as invested just as capable to kind of lead different parts of the business but i i will say that like what then happens is that the quality of people you look for in your management team is a little bit different you know say if i had a co-founder who was heading one vertical maybe the quality of managers i would have looked for wouldn't have been to that level because you know he or she would have been would have been the main driver or the decision maker and so i do think that in a way maybe it pushed me to make better hiring decisions and i also think it leads to like a lot more um, i would say like openness and honesty with investors as well because i really share ups and downs you know struggles issues hiring i do i am able to share everything with them because there's no one else i would necessarily don't do about everything right you know they also have to kind of respect people's privacy so um it has kind of in a way pushed me to find a year with other people and these are people that add a lot of value you know so i think there are positives and negatives but obviously i'm going to i'm going to look at it from the positive lens yes yes definitely glass always half full so lovely to hear that and you know looking at the positives of being a solo founder as well but turning to the other side of the journey right like i think one of the most fascinating things that i found about the wedding brigade is not just the progression but the fact that you've always had that vision in you to make this a full stack destination for weddings right so before we dive deeper into the smaller aspects of how you're achieving that i just want to lay it down at the start as to how you as a founder have been able to envision what the end product looks like and constantly debate yourself with short term action and long term vision right because when you are envisioning such a huge target of wanting to be the premier wedding destination in the country for everything in and out how do you tackle that with the short term action how do you resist yourself from doing a lot how do you ensure that you are taking the smaller steps that compound towards that destination 
Sure. I mean, that's a great question. And to be honest, it is something that we've struggled with. I think in the past, we have bitten off more than we can chew. You know, we tried to do too many things where in an industry where literally there's so much innovation that could happen, whether it's on the vendor front and how they kind of manage their bookings, whether it's on the content front, how people find information, how people book online or offline, the type of event that can be planned, the type of products you can sell online, the type of tools you can create. You know, I mean, it's really endless. And so it's very tempting to just say, I'll try this and I'll try this and I'll try this and I'll try this because, you know, what if one of them is like that silver bullet, you know, that really sort of like takes you to deliverance, uh, which is obviously, you know, I think a lot of founders, when you, especially when you start and you're a bit naive, you know, you believe you are going to be that exceptional case. You think that you're going to have that moment where everything just sort of like full steam ahead, rocket ship growth. But most founder stories aren't like that. You know, some are, but most of us really work, right, for growth. And so I think we did make that mistake in the beginning where we bit off a little bit more than we can chew. And then we started to focus uh, and we really decided then that, okay, you know, we want to be part of the entire wedding journey and that includes execution. So right before the pandemic, we actually opened up like a chain of banquet halls where we uh, had our first one up and running in Malad and we were going to actually plan the entire wedding. So we would be the ones you'd book our hall, you'd get married in our hall and it started off really well. And then the pandemic hit and uh, we had to kind of shut that down. So that was, I would say, a little bit more of an external factors. At the beginning, it was more of an internal thing that we were doing a little bit too much. But both these internal and external factors have just realized, have just taught us the importance of focus. And so now where we're at as a company is we know that we are known for our content, right? I would say most women living in tier one cities who are getting married and tier two cities who are getting married know of the wedding brigade, follow us on Instagram. I've read a blog, been to the website, that type of stuff. And we also know that, okay, as a young company, a small company, we want to focus on parts of the business that are scalable. And for us, you know, selling wedding, fashion, jewelry, gifts, accessories uh, is definitely sort of uh, something that falls into that category. And even on the services side, looking at sort of more online solutions to planning a wedding or planning a function is something that aligns with us. And so now we're saying, you know what, we're not going to look at offline right now. We are not in that capacity as a company to look at offline. And I think the external environment isn't uh, in a great space either. And so no matter what people suggest, even if something is a great idea, we're just going to say no. And it's very hard saying no, but you have to, you know, it's different if you have a few billion dollars in the bank and you can kind of make mistakes and, you know, you, uh, you, you have the luxury, you have a cushion, right? If you fall, we don't have that kind of cushion. And so we have to be focused. And I think that winning in a few categories will actually make it easier to then expand into new categories later. And so, yeah, that's definitely a lesson that we've learned due to both internal and external circumstances. Fair point. I think I love the fact that you mentioned how you learn to say no and how you talk about the importance of focus because both of these pointers are so quintessential. And as a founder who has so many options, so many ideas, such a huge vision, I'm sure it's difficult to resist the temptation of doing everything and doing too much, right? But it's great to hear how you accept that, you know, it's a learning process and that you've come to this realization. So that's a definite takeaway for all of us listening. 
Thanks for sharing that, Sana. But further, I want to touch a bit upon what you briefly mentioned, the social media aspect of the Wedding Brigade. Because I'm sure that anybody who's heard of the Wedding Brigade has seen your social media profile. It's one of the best curated profiles out there. And your team has done such a great job at it. But I also want to especially touch upon this because you started with content, with social media at a time when it was not cool or mainstream, for instance, right? Because currently we hear everybody talk about content, community, social media, hacks to do well in social media and things like that. But this is the cool right now. But having started early on and having progressed so well, I think it would be wonderful to hear from you. What are the tools? What are the secrets to your social media prowess? And how have you over the years evolved in that game? So if you could share with us any of your learnings from building a great social media brand, that would be phenomenal to hear. Sure. So I think one piece of advice that I gave in the previous answer applies here, which is a little bit of focus. You know, uh, I think sometimes brands feel that they all have to be an everyday brand. They all have to appeal to all users. And so they're going to put out, you know, messages for every festival and inspirational quotes and this and that. And every brand wants to be an everyday brand, but every brand is not. That isn't necessarily the right positioning, right? So I would say, figure out who you are, right? Figure out what it is that you do and focus on that because then you're going to find the right users. You're not going to find people who are confused and people who come to you thinking you're one thing, see that, you know, you have 20 other things on your platform will only go into a deeper state of confusion. So I think that focus and knowing yourself is very important before you put out a single post, right? I think the second thing is consistency. I think when a lot of people kind of start with content, you know, they say, okay, you know, I'll post uh, every day and then they'll say, okay, no, I'll post two times a week or it doesn't work like that. It is a long game. It takes time to grow. And, you know, you have to, you, you have to put in the work consistently every day. And the last thing I would say is to really look closely at collaborations. A lot of big brands are open to working with, you know, smaller brands or, on collabs right so maybe you give your product for something maybe you shoot a video the bigger brand puts it on their portal it's great exposure like i feel like and and lots of people are open to it so even if you look at our um, instagram account we source a lot of content from photographers makeup artists mendy artists that genuinely get a huge boost and for us that's great content we just want to aggregate the best content out there and so I think that's a really, really good way to um, scale a little bit faster, get a little bit more exposure and use Instagram's newest tools. Uh, you know, I do feel that when they launch something new, they do give it a little bit of priority. So for example, Reels was a massive sort of growth lever for us. You know, as soon as we started using it, we saw um, uh, our followers really increase quite significantly. So those would be a few of my pieces of advice. Awesome. I think that's great to hear, especially the fact that these learnings are coming from you because the Wedding Brigade is by far one of the most curated and scaled up social media profiles out there. It's great. You guys have more than 1 million followers and uh, the entire curation of social media is so spectacular. So I'm sure this is going to be very helpful for a lot of young founders listening. Further, I would like to turn the attention to something more nuanced in nature. So this is particularly about how you've been able to build on top of things, right? Because from my observation, you were able to, you started off with content, you built the e-commerce platform on top of the content, 
And from there on, you've gone about building on top. And that's where the full stack mentality comes from, right? What I would love to understand is how you've gone about building on top and recognizing where and when to release such things, right? And this could be as particular as releasing a new social media piece or releasing a new blog or releasing a new vertical on e-commerce or something of the kind, right? But it'd be interesting to understand how is it as a founder that you know this is the right time to do something and how is it that you go about releasing that particular feature at any given point in time? So I think that would be really, really helpful to understand and learn from. I think what's worked for us best is listening to the customer. I think there have been times where we've pushed things out that we thought people wanted, that there really didn't seem to be too much of a need for. But the times where we've listened is when it's actually done well. So for example, when we had first launched our uh, website and we were a purely content-based portal, we would get questions, you know, okay, how do I buy this? Where can I find this? How do I get in touch with the designer? So it became very clear that people wanted to transact off the content that they were seeing. And that led to the, you know, both of our e-commerce portal, which is like a huge, huge part of our business today. But it's not that when we started the content portal, I knew, okay, one day I'm going to do e-commerce. It was a bit of a kind of, you know, we were figuring out the right model for us in the future. And this is what made a lot of sense. Another kind of uh, example, I would say within the e-commerce space further is that we do see that uh, people are buying from us not just for weddings but for other sort of festivals and you know celebratory times in their lives as well and that is also giving us some insight that maybe our products have more use cases uh, than we previously thought and these are areas that we need to be looking into and exploring a little bit further. I think another uh, aspect of that was also the banquets which obviously due to COVID uh, we had to shut down But um, we were realizing that we're getting all of these leads for venues and a lot of times, you know, people uh, give us, they give us what they want. They tell us that this is what I'm looking for. And then we look around in the market and we see that, okay, this has four out of five of the things you want or six out of seven of the things you want. But if we have all of the specifications, why not build what it is that they want and do it ourselves? You know, so whenever we've listened, I feel we've really um, created a good product and that listening is important. Even when I started, you know, I'd started saying, oh, I think I know what I want to build and this. And, you know, you almost look for like that, that confirmation bias, right? You're looking for people who say, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Uh, but I think a few months into the journey, thank God, we took a step back and uh, what we ended up building was a little bit different, but I think it was what was needed. Fair enough. I think that's great to hear, especially because we're going back to the basics of listening to the consumer, but to understand that it practically played out for you in such a great manner is spectacular. Furthermore, I want to shift gears and understand more about the consumer segment you're serving, right? Because as opposed to the general Indian consumer, as we categorize it, which is price sensitive, which does not spend exorbitantly and things like that, I'm guessing that the target segment that you are serving has more spending power than the usual Indian consumer, right? So I think it would be lovely to understand from you as to if you've realized or witnessed anything in particular about this consumer type, how your experience has been serving them. And what are some of the nuanced things about the Indian consumer who does like to spend or does have the capacity to spend? I think that would be lovely given the vantage point you've had developing and building the wedding brigade. And it'd be great if you can share some of those insights with us. So I think one 
thing which is a bit of a common misconception is that yes people are less price sensitive when they're planning a wedding which means that you know they're not necessarily looking for the absolute cheapest option they're willing to pay for quality but the average indian wedding budget isn't as high as what people think it is like if i were to ask you to guess you know what's a range for a middle class wedding budget what would you say <laughs> it starts at like 5 lakhs like a wedding for 300 people can be planned within 5 lakhs with two functions and food and jewelry and outfits and everything so you know that's something that a lot of people will guess exactly in your range right they don't know that and and for them that 5 lakhs is a lot that's like years of savings so uh yes there is obviously more ability to spend but it's not that uh, everyone has these blockbuster budgets and so i think that affordability uh and that balance of affordability and price is very very important and that's something that we really focus on our average order value is 5000 rupees that maybe gives you a bit of a sense of what i'm talking about i think um the second thing with weddings is that there are no second chances right you will get married to one person once those two people get married once those two families get married once and so if something is wrong it's wrong and it's memorialized in pictures for the rest of people's lives and so the care that needs to be taken when onboarding anyone whether it's you know someone for jewelry or someone for makeup or someone for catering is absolutely massive and there's a lot of responsibility and that's why for us a lot of people ask us so oh, why don't you let people just list on your portal and i'm like because how do i guarantee any kind of quality you know so we curate we vet we test and in fact the product that we're now building on the services side is like a uh, more vetted version of kind of uh, what we have before where you can actually now book uh, uh, certain like vendors and venues that are pre-approved uh, through us on our platform like an even smaller selection um and i think that that trust factor is really important and i think the last kind of thing that i would talk about is that weddings are really the day that i think a lot of young women also especially sort of see as like the most important day of their life or the day that they're like the star the day that you know this this is their day and so that wanting everything to be perfect to be differentiated to be recognized to be seen that that emotional need is huge and you see it playing out in terms of you know people obviously wanting their photos fit uh, photos uh, you know displayed on social media websites and uh, pages like ours you see uh, that in terms of like the type of thought and care and planning that goes into each outfit and so i think it's just a very very like unique and special time and requires sort of you know the similar care from any brand that's working with people if you're able to if you want to give people a good experience very well i mean that makes a lot of sense and i especially love the curation factor because large part of weddings is that human touch is that trust aspect right and you're solving for that but that brings me to an interesting point and i was just brainstorming around this as you were talking i realized that the problem that you're trying to essentially solve for is that of trust is is that of the broken system of too many moving parts when conducting a wedding all of which or in fact some of which can be automated right but initially i'm sure you must have faced the trouble of solving for trust solving for human touch because some of these aspects in weddings requires that human touch right the physical presence so how were you able to 
tackle it especially early on and did you face any particular troubles about it because i'm sure the zero to one journey before finding pmf this must have been an obstruction so would love to know how was it that you perhaps tackled this and how was it that you thought about this sure so i think what we did was we realized that you know high uh, value or high budget decisions if they were being made on our platform needed human intervention and the slightly lower value or lower budget decisions didn't uh, so what that means is when you're in the ideation phase and you're looking at content you don't need any hand holding go do it yourself when you're uh, buying you know outfits for your smaller functions for your sister your bridesmaids your costume jewelry you don't really need hand holding you know and it's a smaller budget again you can do that yourself on e-commerce but when you're booking a photographer a venue bigger decision lots of money involved there we had a physical concierge service that would actually hold your hand through the process and help you book and so depending on like the level of the decision we had sort of a different facility available now our goal is to focus a little bit more on the online parts of planning and so you know we're not really going to be focusing too much on like helping you book a venue but we will help you book all of the other vendors and services you need we will have a concierge behind this kind of new product that can help you or uh, you know find what you're looking for if it doesn't happen online but i think for us being a small company and again just keeping that focus our our goal is that let's look at the parts of the wedding of wedding planning that are online and there are many parts of it right content buying products and booking services can all happen online so let's look at these elements first and then as we scale we can see okay the slightly more offline parts the parts that require a little bit more hand holding let's look at them a little bit later in our life cycle as opposed to doing everything right now absolutely i think this is great to hear and understand more about how you've gone about ideating and planning the execution for the wedding brigade because the consumer love is definitely evident and widespread and it's great to understand how the back story to that actually plays out furthermore i want to shift focus on culture and how you've been able to deal with culture at the wedding brigade because i'm guessing as a solo founder it must have been difficult for you to scale culture in the organization because i understand that early on when there are a couple of people in a room and everybody is in the same everybody is working from the same office it's easier to scale culture because a lot of it gets passed down but how have you over the years evolved culture internally at the wedding brigade and what are some of the trade secrets that you can share with us in terms of building the right culture for an organization that is continuously scaling innovating and trying different things at all instances i think that would be lovely and very very helpful to hear for all of us so i think like a lot of early companies you know in the beginning i didn't really like set out any uh, definitions or have any kind of like guidebooks i think in the beginning the founder is the culture right and people see what the founder is acting like and they they mimic it or hopefully mimic it but then understand what's important and i think that worked till yeah we were about you know maybe 9 10 people and all able to sit in a room together but as soon as you're in different rooms uh, you're not the only person people report to you have like a layer of managers as well uh, that's when things can tend to get lost and you can even see that within your within your company different teams can have slightly different cultures and so i think we decided to codify it more recently uh by recently i mean technically now almost 2 years ago and our first step was like a baby step which was more just defining you know what our core values are 
uh, and uh, what our mission is and talking about it and kind of putting it all over the office and we realized that okay you know people are vaguely aware of it but how do you actually ensure they live it you know and the way to ensure people really live it is by linking it to the reviews and the appraisal process because that is just at the end of the day if you're saying that hey we're going to be reviewing your performance and giving you an appraisal and uh, these are the things that we're going to look at oh and by the way we also have these core values and you should know about them that's confusing right for an employee then what what are they supposed to be focusing on what are they supposed to be doing and so recently we have i mean what we do is we have four core values one is like you know customer obsession customer engagement one is um, ownership one is respect one is excellence literally spells out core people get reviewed on these four specific metrics and they get reviewed not just by their direct managers but the rest of their colleagues as well every single quarter so even if the appraisal just happens once a year every quarter you are being reviewed on these metrics and we make it a point that if someone gets an average or below average review on any metric constructive criticism has to be given and it's anonymous so people can speak openly and i just feel like since we've done that there is just so much more awareness in terms of like what we what we think ideal qualities in someone who works at the wedding brigade is so much more awareness on their own performance and where they can do better and so yeah i think this has been absolutely integral in kind of uh, building a company culture and it's now something we look at you know when recruiting as well right because you want people to have that mentality when they're coming into i think that's very spectacular to hear and very refreshing to be honest because there's so many founders and there's so much written about the codification of culture but i think what's refreshing to hear from your answer is that it's important to internalize it as well right when you talk about mapping culture with performance i think that's the true integration of culture within the organization and that's going to be very very helpful for all founders and future founders listening right so thanks for sharing that sana and i think that was wonderful furthermore i want to take the last 10 15 minutes on the episode to talk about you and your personal journey you as the founder so first up there i'd love to understand from you as to how is it that you tread on this journey because you were in the us you had a great education you were in investment banking and you left all of that to start the wedding brigade right and that's very intriguing to hear to begin with so i'd love to know if you can perhaps tell us the reason as to how you decided to move when you gained the conviction and what is it that convinced you to actually start the wedding brigade So I think the seeds were actually planted well before that. Uh, I don't know if we touched on this uh, when we had first spoken, but um, I actually started my first business when I was eighteen uh, at Brown University. So I had done like an entrepreneurship class with a friend. Basically, was dragged was dragged to this class because you have this shopping period at Brown where you can just test out a bunch of different classes. And uh, they said, just come see this. We'll go for lunch after. I said, okay. and we did a case study and i really enjoyed it and you know i thought i was going to go work in the un or something i wasn't really looking at doing any business classes in college but i loved it took the class and ended up basically partnering with a friend to for our end of year project which was like a case study and rather than just writing a case study we actually implemented the business which was like a discount card called 2020 which gave uh, discounts at restaurants around campus during off peak hours and we built that from scratch you know and we actually made a decent amount of money on the side about 15% of our student body at that point had the cards and that's when like the seeds were sown and so i knew i wanted to stay in the us for a while and so being international i had to be sponsored that's actually how i ended up in banking but 
somewhere in the back of my head i knew i wanted to build a business again at some point in my life and so when i came to india on holiday and my friend sister was getting married and i kind of got introduced to the market and i was seeing how crazy it was you know it was like a little bit of like a kaching moment like this is it you know you don't come across industries of this size with no incumbent every day there was no guarantee that if i went back worked a little longer went to business school that the opportunity would still be waiting here for me and so i decided to take the the plunge because to me it was already a calling you know it was already something i wanted to do and i also think like to some extent you know i grew up partly in india partly outside of india i wanted to build something in my country right like for my country uh and create jobs in my country and um, i think that was also you know part of it as well wow i think that's phenomenal to hear especially because the way you stuck around and trusted yourself with the initial thought that came about at the age of 18 you were bold enough to leave that cushy job right you were bold enough to follow your heart uh, when the aha moment came across and you never really you know held yourself back because there's so many of us i think who tinker around with ideas who are the so called misfits right but to see you as a testament of someone who was bold enough and courageous enough to follow her heart when you found the right problem the right idea the right market uh, is absolutely spectacular to hear and i'm sure it's going to motivate a lot of us to take this beautiful journey further i want to just touch upon you know how is it that you personally cope up and uh, expand yourself in its entirety because uh we've often heard that you know it's difficult as a founder there's so many obstructions that come in your way so how is it that you are able to perhaps you know model yourself uh in a way that makes sure you're ready for that journey you're always excelling you're always on point are there any mental models that you can share is there anything that you particularly do for this i think it would be interesting to understand how is it that you as a founder keep up and keep in shape so that you are able to put your best foot forward every day so um a few different things uh i think one is and a big part of my life honestly is spirituality i've started sort of practicing uh, something called reiki when i was 7 years old uh, you know i'm very close to my guru and i think my spiritual process and practices are very very grounding especially when things are um, a little bit tumultuous like they are right now uh i do it every morning uh, that's how i start my day and uh, every and you know it doesn't have to be the same practice for everyone right for someone it can be deep breathing for some person it can be yoga meditation but that grounding for me is very important uh, another small thing is i've start started planning my day the night before so when i wake up i have a set plan i already know exactly what i'm going to do literally from the moment i wake up and i even plan like breaks i even plan lunch you know so you're not you're not off course at any point in time or if you are you have a clear list of things that you were supposed to get done it just sort of helps me remain a little bit focused uh and i think in terms of more broader tools you know i i love to read i love to read management books i'm guilty of reading a book and you know wanting to implement everything straight away and you know maybe some things will stick some things won't but i think the cool thing about it is that when you do take that approach and you get invested and you try stuff eventually maybe of the you know 100 initial ideas you like there like four or five that really stay with you right and that actually do end up working their way into your company and working their way into other people's lives and so i think uh, that's something i enjoy doing and that's something that i feel just opens my mind view out a bit 
and the last thing i think would be talking to other founders i'm a little um i wouldn't say introverted um but i like socializing with people who i know and who i uh, like and who i connect with but the flip side is you know you need to actually talk to people to know whether you like them and connect with them and so i've started talking to founders more just about what's happening with them and how they're dealing with certain stuff how their perspective on certain things and it's invaluable i mean honestly it's been invaluable and people are generally very open you know um and so that's something that i started doing more and i would encourage any and every founder to do even if there's no like obvious synergy or whatever there's just so much to learn for sure i think all of those pointers make so much sense in its entirety because spirituality as you mentioned right the road is so tough and there is so much to be done i'm sure that helps you get the peace get the calmness to be able to thrive in discomfort as they call it right so super glad to hear that and thanks for sharing it with us uh, furthermore i want to discuss with you what the end goal for you looks like right i mean not from a philosophical perspective but in its entirety when you are brainstorming when you are envisioning the wedding brigade what is it that you're chasing what are you looking forward to how are you going to approach it these intangibles per se i think it would be lovely to hear your opinion on them so i think success for me and this is uh, yeah not like a, a very concrete answer but i think this is really what we're going after is that you know when you imagine the way your wedding is supposed to look and the way you want to feel or you even imagine the way a celebration a birthday a new year's eve party you know how you want it to be we want to create that vision and make it a reality you know we want to help people make the most of the moments they live for people spend days weeks months even years sometimes looking forward to certain events and how often do they not go the way that we imagine them right for various reasons and so our goal is to really make sure that they do go the way you want it and whatever is the absolute best and most it can be we help that we you know we help make that a reality we help make that happen by giving you the best ideas so you can plan things that you really love to by giving you the best products you can look the way you want to look you can gift what you want to gift you can create an environment have the best food services etc that really is the end goal right to, to help people make the most of the moments they live for amazing i think that's wonderful to hear the sheer ambition that is very evident from your words is truly spectacular and i really hope that someday very soon in the future every time we as consumers think of a celebration the first product or service that comes to our mind is the wedding brigade and i really hope that happens really really soon further moving to the very last question of what has been a tremendously amazing episode as opposed to the general a uh, stereotypical top 3 learnings parting thought uh, i thought it would be interesting to ask you what your do nots for starting up might be right because i don't want to ask you the normal top 3 learnings to summarize what we've said but it'd be interesting to understand from a do not perspective as to what you think are complete no nos in the starting up journey i think the first one will be do not build the product that's in your head before talking to people so you know <laughs> got to talk to people the second one would be do not try and do it all at once and then once you figure out what you want to do cut that also in half <laughs> because you should be doing even less than whatever it is you think you should do 
and i think the third is to do not ride every peak and valley on the roller coaster you know i think what happens sometimes as founders is we're so linked to the success and the outcome of the company that every small high and low like literally we are feeling it right so these emotionally can be like the mulchuets right as you go through those motions and i think in reality like yes obviously you have to be super invested you have to really care or uh, you have to recognize when things are going right and wrong but there needs to be like a a core a core of like stability because that's actually how you're going to make the best decisions and that's how you're going to sort of lead the company in the right way so i think uh, being invested but not uh, not going on a roller coaster every day <laughs> would would definitely be a piece of advice also super i do not think i could have come up with a better ending than that that was spectacular to hear sana thank you so so much for walking us through so many of the different aspects of your journey and sharing with us the learnings that you've picked up along the way and being so candid all throughout i think what stood out for me through our conversation has been the sheer vision and passion that you have for building and the fact that you talk about being the full stack solution it truly represents that you are building an institution that lasts really long and the fact that you're wanting to provide great value this has been super super awesome uh, sana thank you so so much for your time on the show this is definitely a special one and i shall really cherish all of the learnings i really enjoyed the conversation and i hope you did too I did honestly it was a lot of fun excited uh, excited to hear it <laughs> thank you so much sana awesome i think that was truly wonderful there were so many learnings throughout the conversation i loved how candid sana was in her explanations and how ambitious she is to truly create value the importance of focus the power of saying no the clarity of the vision the courage to take the leap of faith the habit of keeping a positive outlook and the want to progress along with the team are only some of the many spectacular pointers throughout our discussion that was it from the 44th episode of the indian silicon valley podcast the importance of focus with the wedding brigades sanavora thank you so much for tuning in I really hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Do not forget to follow the podcast on the audio streaming platform of your choice. Do drop in a review and subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter to get all the updates directly on your inbox. Thanks again. I will see you next week for another episode. Till then, I hope you read up. If you never try, you'll never know. Stay tuned and keep building.